0: How's it going out there, writers and readers of the world? This is your host, Grant Deem, back after a year-long hiatus to bring you new and exciting conversations about writing. From the moment inspiration sparks to the final polished draft, the writing process is unique to each artist. On this show, guest authors discuss current projects, artistic goals, and describe their themes, writing styles, and choices made regarding craft. I hope that you'll tune in for insightful discussions around poetry, fiction, and creative nonfiction. This is Writers in the World. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Writers in the World. My guest today is Dr. Jenny Mueller. Dr. Mueller is the author of two collections of poetry, Bonneville published in 2007, and State Park, published in 2017. Her poetry and essays have appeared in Atlantic Monthly, Denver Quarterly, Chicago Review, and elsewhere. Professor Mueller also teaches writing at McKendree University. Dr. Mueller, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you.
1: Pleased to be here. Yeah.
0: So my first question has to do with um, Mm -hmm. family, specifically your parents. your mother, Liesel Mueller, was a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer, and your father was a creative, too. And I guess to start, I, I'm wondering how often you think of your parents, their successes, their forms of creativity, as you write and revise and create your own art. Do you contemplate notions of legacy when you approach the page, or are you trying not to think about all that, necessarily?
1: In ge- I, I don't think about that. Um uh, it's not really a matter of trying or not trying. I just don't think about that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the main form of uh, a legacy that I got from that is simply that um, I was really exposed. Uh, you know, I was very lucky to be exposed by just all kinds of art all the time. And I still draw a lot of inspiration from various forms of art you know so it's not necessarily going to be um, a poem at all let alone a poem by say my mother Um, and Hmm. similarly uh, although my dad my dad um, did get his uh, PhD in musicology but uh, when I was growing up he really he had a job that had nothing to do with the arts but He was very much of a sort of culture vulture, and very kept kept current with music. And so, you know, just to give you an example, I had like a great time this summer writing a a poem that was sort of really influenced by um, some of the work of John Cage, um, his -hmm. writing. And you know, Mm -hmm. I think that that side of me is probably ultimately coming from my dad. Um, but it's it's just it's more of an influence than than a direct sort of legacy in anything that I'm writing.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I just something that you said stuck out to me and, and just sort of kind of that mashup of of different forms and being exposed to all these different uh forms of art and it just got me thinking a little bit about some of your some of your work, specifically uh postcards, mm-hmm. which uh was featured. I know that was its own contained work but what I what I read in researching for our interview uh, appeared in interim mm-hmm. and then I also think of the essay in one part of the uh, of the mm-hmm. main and both of those works I feel like are slippery in terms of how I would describe them even in terms of genre or form and I I just really appreciate that um, whenever I come across that as a reader
1: Well, that makes me happy. Yeah.
0: yeah, Love to be surprised by language. Yeah. yeah, Someone doing something innovative. Um, my next question uh, still pertains, I guess, to, to family and and adolescents or growing up and you grew up in the Northern suburbs of Chicago. Uh, many of which have undergone immense, immense change. I'm from the Chicago area. So I'm uh, somewhat familiar with, uh, with some of these changes, but, um, has that process, the fact that that this place that you once called home continued to evolve? Has that informed or shaped your art at all?
1: You know, that's uh, that's a good question. I think I think it has, um, in some, in sort of in a remote way, in that um, probably a lot of my writing that has to do with. Um, particularly with the West, but also with a lot of my writing about the Midwest, I think there is a sense of um, this kind of quite fragile boundary between the rural and the suburban Mm -hmm. and um, even the sort of the ways in which things like state parks are these kind of oddly set aside territories that, um, you know, are, you know, have nothing ultimately to do with the wilderness, right? But they're, they're basically ultimately right. kind of in a way preserving uh, what, what was left of, of the country that's now been suburbanized. So, so I think just that sense of kind of shifting natural borders um, does interest me quite a bit. Um, and yeah, for sure that is true of, um my experience is you know where where i grew up was um sort of semi rural and mm-hmm. now it's just it's complete suburb um uh the
0: yeah, there's quite the sprawl yeah. all, all north and yeah. northwest. And- yeah,
1: very much so, and it, and it's kind of there was also just kind of a double burden in my legacy in that I grew up like officially my address was Lake Forest, Illinois, which is a very very wealthy yeah. little town, but right. in fact, you know, it was just the zip code. We were we were never there. <laughs> we were actually in this kind of sort of working class little subdivision in the middle of this you know broad expanse of. of Main, a lot of like sort of farms and stuff. In fact, I grew up That's sort of close to the to the farm where Marlon Brando grew up, um, most famous oh, wow. resident of of that area. But um, uh, you know, I I always used to torment me, and I think also my mother that you know we we were she was always listed as a Lake Forest poet because it does <laughs> sound like we were these rich people from the north. Shore. <laughs>
0: That's so interesting. But it it does speak to that sort of fragile yet very clear divide in a a place. And yeah, either claiming, you know, small town America or city life. And I that just yeah, that's to me that just is as prevalent of a theme today and as important today to kind of be writing about as, you know, at any point that. You work
1: I think it really is. And I think um, you know, I, I think a lot about the rural urban divide and the way in which um American writing, it seems to me, I mean, really just because of trends and what's happening in higher education and where um MFA programs locate themselves, and then even the kind of thinking among people in, in MFA programs, I think, you know. Not that I cared about this in the slightest when I was younger. I, you know, my I, I really just wanted to live in a city. Um, but I think now a lot about, you know, whether we're getting any writers. Um, you know, how many writers are we getting from truly rural America? Um, I, I'm not sure. You know, I just I just don't think mm-hmm. you people have the opportunities there to just meet poets so I think it's a it's an interesting question
0: that's a really interesting point and something that honestly I I until you mentioned it I haven't really thought a a ton on but it it makes a lot of sense um and yeah I think that kind of creates a a deficit of sorts or just a, a void that needs filling and yeah something something certainly to think about um yeah, it's interesting, too, that you mentioned sort of preservation, and I know I have a few questions about State Park that I want to get to here eventually, but uh, just sort of that natural tension there between, um, you know, the the need for this third party to come in and enact some sort of power in order to preserve a yes. place. Uh, and I feel like that comes through when you're writing yeah. a lot. And-, and the
1: third party is quite literally the state, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that. that's, yeah, that, that kind of just keeps turning on itself when I try to think about that um, in my own head. Um, no, that's a really interesting theme to be to be working uh, through and working uh, out in your own writing. Um, so I want to keep talking about about place. Um, you've been fortunate enough to have traveled quite broadly, and you've earned residencies and in Oregon, in Alaska, in Mexico, in Banff and Canada, and elsewhere, and I wondered how travel and experiencing a new place or community has affected your writing
1: um I think well, I would say I've traveled very broadly within the United States
0: um mm-hmm. I haven't
1: done a lot of travel outside of the United States um, um Very little, in fact, and um, I really regret that when I was an undergraduate, I didn't take advantage of, you know, travel abroad programs and all that kind of stuff. But um, within the United States, I've traveled a lot. Um, I I think, you know, residencies are a different matter. I mean, residencies do help one to travel. Uh, For me, the, the most fulfilling experiences with residencies have just involved meeting people. Um, Mm. and, uh, you know, it's not true at every residency, but I've, you know, I've stayed loosely in touch with, you know, a few people I've met at residencies and that, um, that's been really important to me. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: I feel like that, I'm sorry to to cut in, but just that, that notion of, um, develop this this sense of community maybe that you're finding at while attending certain residencies when you meet when you meet these writers it's
1: also I think a shared I mean you know for example I I did do a residency um in Banff um and you know if I'm honest I'm not actually in in contact right now with any of the people who were there at the same time but if I did Mm -hmm. get into contact with them we would all have this very distinct shared memory um and so it it kind of opens a sense of community just by this kind of remarkable experience and privilege really of being able to sort of you know all be kind of floating together in this small little community mm-hmm. briefly held together community where the where the purpose is to write and the purpose is to write, and the purpose is to experience. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I really, you know, I I, I treasure the time I've been able to um, have in those places and with those organizations.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, just the idea of a, of a residency is really appealing to me as a as a fiction writer and just a writer in general, and hopefully something I can experience mm-hmm. myself someday. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially, I mean, I know travel has obviously been on hold for the last mm-hmm. year, but I would imagine, um, I don't want to assume, but uh, given the year that we've just had, these types of connections, I feel like would be pretty important to just be sort of keeping keeping in mind. And um,
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Has it, has yeah, it been? Yeah, Maybe. for sure. Yeah.
0: Um, do you ever feel, I mean, you write about place mm-hmm. a lot. And do you do you ever feel pressure when it comes to making art about a place um the people who live there uh when you yourself maybe hasn't been uh, a resident there uh hasn't lived there yourself do you feel like there's some added pressure ever in those instances an added responsibility or other um other elements of craft maybe that you tend to when you're writing about a place that's maybe not as familiar than say uh somewhere you've lived?
1: I think, um, I think it's kind of already baked into my craft um, right. uh, in that, and, and I'll just to give you a sort of example, I'll just talk about my experience when uh, I first, the first time I ever spent a lot of time living in the West was when um, I was uh, in the, the program at the University of Utah. And you know I had this very interesting experience of feeling, even though I had not grown up in the West. I felt instantly at home in the west um hmm. but i I noticed you know there's a there's a whole uh, there's quite the cottage industry of nature writing that hmm. goes on out there, you know, and there's a lot hmm. of sort of things like um you know. Pay, pay some money and then we'll raft down the green river and then we'll stop and camp and we'll write about nature and we'll, we'll talk about, right. Mm. And, and it gets very, um, you know, I think it, things have probably changed a little bit given, given people's environmental concerns now, but there was a lot of kind of just, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, you'll go out in nature and you'll have your epiphany and you'll write about your epiphany. And, um, mm. You know, I, I I think like many sort of writers of my generation, I was all, already kind of suspicious of a certain kind of mode of lyricism. You know, you just get to know, you get to recognize the type of writing that's that's becoming kind of cliched. And so, when I when I began writing about those places, I'm very conscious of. I, I want to do two things, which is one is I want to honor the genuine kind of thrill um, that you get from them and the the actual emotion one finds um, in a place. And particularly if you're in kind of a sublime place, you want to honor that. But at the same time, I'm always kind of holding in mind um the ways in which all those responses are uh need to be watched so that one doesn't wind up kind of missing certain realities or um, having having the having the epiphany before one's had the experience let's say um, ah. so I've always kind of been conscious of that, and i I think it filters into the way in which I write. Um, probably largely in the way I use imagery and voice. Um, it's hard for me to get much more technical than that, though.
0: Yeah, no, I that's I mean, you, I think you put that really beautifully. I, I like that with, you know, the epiphany and the experience and the order in which those things. Yeah.
1: I uh, mean, it, it's, you know, there's the I, I at least am always on guard against any kind of impulse where I'm like, man, I can really use this. Right, (laughs) which I think is like, I think any writer is kind of um, prey to that, you know. Um, Yeah.
0: that's the temptation. I mean, that's you. You hope to feel that inspiration, but yeah, at the same time, um, you you have to have that reverence for it, and yeah, you kind of enter that contract, I guess. Well, you
1: have to. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's beautiful. Um, So yeah, we touched on state park just a little bit in some of the other uh, questions, but you've said that your collections of your collection of poems in, in state park uh, were mostly written while on the road. That's really interesting to me. And I, and I wondered, I mean, I'm sure different pieces in that collection were, were perhaps at different stages uh, in terms of their development or in the revision process, but can you just speak to that experience just a bit more about, you know, working on, a project such as uh, a collection of poems while traveling or or was it that you weren't um it, it didn't it didn't come to light yet that you were actually working on this collection or can just anything at all about uh that setup i guess
1: well i i mean i i sort of felt i was working on something simply because um you know i had a sabbatical and there was this mm-hmm. feeling of you know I only get one of these every six or seven years, I better make it count. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I I had a sabbatical in fall and, you know, originally um, I had been talking with my late husband who was also a poet and, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked about sort of finding places to stay um and he he actually he was always wanting to save money and so he basically convinced me to give up our lease in St. Louis and put all our stuff in storage um and just kind of go and so we did that and we spent um the first part of that trip you know mainly camping um wow um you know it wasn't it wasn't
0: was that something you had done before or that you too had done before um, in terms of camping? And- before,
1: we never sort of decided, okay, we're just going to camp for five or six or seven weeks or whatever it turned out to be. You know, I mean, yeah. I think it was, I think, you know, we, we camped for about like maybe six weeks or so. And then we sort of landed someplace with his family and then, you know, more camping. And then we, we did, we did find a place to stay in um, New Mexico where we were dog sitting for um four weeks. So eventually, you know, as we pushed into the fall, we kind of landed in, in non camping places. But it but it was always kind of, you know, we traveled all through the West and there was always this sense that, you know, we were always kind of ready to pull out the tent and the Coleman stove and all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: it's I mean that's that that notion of just hitting the road. And, uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like as a writer, that would be, uh, that's something I would love to do. And, uh, just what that would maybe, I don't know, um, how that would maybe influence my approach. And if I feel a little lighter when I, when I get to the page or, mm, yeah, I, I think, mean,
1: I think, um, I did, you know, ultimately feel a little lighter when I got to the page. Um, and I think, it's sort of a lightness that's mixed with just kind of tiredness, but also a sense of being kind of ready to go. It's it's that odd kind of feeling of sort of feeling like um, sort of slightly frayed um, Mm -hmm. while one is traveling a lot. Um, But in that kind of feeling of being sort of frayed and torn and sort of, sort of like a sort of, patchy curtain um the there's also just a sense of sort of a, a, a greater freedom and a greater kind of um i i guess feeling of being in the moment um yeah. maybe a little cliche
0: no i feel like travel does yeah. that because you're just you're, you're away from you're away physically you know from from all your things and certain responsibilities maybe or i mean in your case you you, you had put your things in storage, so um, there wasn't an apartment to worry about, uh, and and so I, I don't know. That's just yeah, that just sounds sounds kind of like a dream. But I I also know that camping can be a bit of work, and so I, I get what you say about that that frayed feeling. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, were you uh, just, a, another que- just another question? Just another follow up uh, about that experience. Were you? Did you find that you were writing? at a certain time sort of like after you pitched camp after you made camp or, uh, was this something, um, was this trip sort of just inspirational in nature and, and you, you were, uh, things were com- material was coming to you, like while you were in transit to, to the next destination or just a little bit curious
1: about. That? Yeah, I would, I mean, I would say, um, most often would just sort of write in the morning. Um, hmm. um, and, and again, I think that had to do with the fact that, you know, my, my husband was kind of my companion. And so we'd like pull out the camp chairs and pull out our notebooks and, and he always wrote more than I did uh, all his life. Mm. But, um, you know, so it's just sort of this companionable, it's warning, it's bright, coffee, <laughs> all yeah, that good yeah. stuff. Um, right. Even if it's coffee that, you know, is just in the thermos, but um <laughs> I, um I yeah, do that, Yeah, that morning. Yeah, I do actually um I feel guilty about driving, um, but I I do when I'm doing long drives, I will say that um I, I do actually kind of do some writing in my head very often. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. it's something about the way, it's something about that midway part where you've kind of left behind whatever is dogging you at home
0: yeah
1: you're not dealing with whatever you're going to have to deal with when you stop and then some some somehow in that like middle position often my my imagination does kind of open up to to
0: Hmm. yeah that reminds me uh, I'm I I can't remember who which which poet said it or which artist said it but this idea of of sort of lassoing a poem, Mm. you know, as it comes flying through the open window or the open door. And I feel like maybe those moments happen a little bit more when, yeah, you travel or I don't know if it gets you just in a different mind space.
1: Yeah. I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, A piece of yours that I really admired um, when doing some research for the interview is titled love poem. And that Mm. was published in the Atlantic Mm. in in 1995 Mm. And, and in that poem, the phrase glass of air repeats a number of times. And I was particularly struck by that phrase. And I wondered if there are other objects that you uh, employ in a similar way in other work, or if there were any, any sort of recurring symbols and images that, that kind of uh, keep cropping up.
1: Um, I mean, I think there are some, you know, and then at a certain point you recognize them and, and you think, okay, there's kind of an obsessive image here. I'm gonna gonna mm-hmm. go with it, but I also have to stop this at some point. Um, yeah. You know, I think the moon comes up a lot in my poems. Um,
0: yeah.
1: um, uh, the the Milky Way comes up a lot. Um, yeah. um, uh, you know, I uh, there's also kind of. I think the thing that goes a little bit deeper and ultimately it's harder to, to change is sort of an obsess- obsessive sound um mm. you know like there's a i find myself sort of falling into sort of patterns of syllables um not you know not in they're not metrical or anything um but the, mm. i do have got like you know just sort of sound patterns um that keep coming up um
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. It's like, I feel like it would be a real challenge as, or it is a challenge as a writer to, yeah, try and make that decision. Is this, is this um, something that's, that's crossing into repetition or is this another layer that deserves further investigation? And, yeah, well, I don't you, know, I feel like that would be tough. You know,
1: my first book, I did, a, I did a reading from my first book. I actually did the reading at, at McKenry University where I teach and um, my friend, Gabe Shapiro, who teaches there um, mm. said to me, came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, was complimenting the reading and said, you know, you have lots of poems about sugar and salt and <laughs> damn if he wasn't right. And I had no idea of that. And then I go, now I go back and look at those poems and it's showing up everywhere. Um, the salt, in particular, I was on a salt-restricted diet. <laughs> 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 Images of salt. And I also, you know, had living in a place with salt flats. And, like, salt is just all over wow. the book, you know. Um, so, yeah, obviously, sometimes you just don't know.
0: <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, That might, maybe is subconsciously coming through. Or, yeah, you come across this reader that gravitates towards this, this feature that you maybe weren't, yeah, paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah. I know, I know professor Gabe Shapiro too. He's yeah. yeah, Very engaging, very, very nice individual, interesting to talk to. So another really interesting piece I spent time with was an essay titled one part of the main, and that was published in June of 19 in another Chicago magazine. And I'll be honest, I've never read anything quite like it. um, Just with, in terms of sort of the form that it, it was, it, it took on and, Uh, again, with phrasing and language and the different breaks that are, are part of that um, essay. And I was wondering if you could just speak a little to how that project came together and, and perhaps maybe what, what inspired you to take it on?
1: Um, I'm trying to remember, um, that project was begun at a residency and, um, well, I think that project maybe came out of two different things. One is hmm. there's a long-standing thing I want to do, which is to uh, to write about a novel by Don DeLillo called *Great Jones Street*, because I'm I'm very interested in um, the way sound and silence happen in that book. Um, and hmm. in particular, it's it's you know it's a, it's a novel about a sort of rock star in hiding. And um, I think, you know, I, the it's a rock star in hiding, but it's DeLillo. He doesn't actually care about rock music at all. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've always been kind of interested in the way in which I, I really think that, that book is kind of influenced in ideas about sound and music that are coming from a totally different context than rock. Um, and so I was thinking about sound, and then I was reading a book uh, in the place I was staying that is called *The Audible Past*, and it was just a book about um, ideas of hearing and the ear and how those have come to play in recording technologies. So it's sort of interesting and dry <laughs> at the mm. same time, and somehow those those came together. I think I'm I'm also kind of interested in um, vanishing images.
0: Oh. Right. You mentioned the dial yeah. tone right. in, in one part right. of the main, and that's just, that was, a, that's just a fascinating moment for me. And you kind of carry yeah. that through, um, the yeah. piece. And I, you, you say something in, 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 the essay about, you know, in order for a writer to attempt to capture the spirit of the time, they, they have to, by default, sort of acknowledge this obsolescence, yeah. I believe yeah. is the word. Yeah. And that was really interesting. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it was, you know, it, it had come out of, you know, uh, I think I mentioned Thomas Transtromer in there and it had come out of a poem of his that I'd read in which he's very obviously referring to the dial tone. And, and because I grew up in a time when every time you picked up, then the phone handle, you heard the dial tone. Mm-hmm. Um, I understood it immediately. Um, uh, but, um, you know, my students have no idea what's going on with that. You know, right. that shows up in, in a story. And the example I gave is is the, the Joyce Carol Oates war horse. Where are you going? Where have you been? Because there's a moment where Connie in that story is running and she picks up the phone and it refers to this dull roaring. And, you know, I think two things are going on there. I think it's Connie's anxiety and fear. But I think Oates is probably also literally referring to the dial tone. And, you know, mm-hmm. I realized at some point that my students have no idea if I, if I assign assigned that story, you know, what that particular image is. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, those, those questions are interesting to me. Um, I think... Um, I've gotten to, you know, if you think about just well, this is just a bit of technology. Who cares? I mean, obviously, it's on the one hand, it is something that people that you need to worry about if you're doing any kind of writing that's dealing realistically with your surroundings at all. You do have to deal with details mm-hmm. that that are going to go missing, um, that are going to go extinct, but the, the big thing that I've become very interested in thinking about lately and would like at some point to write about is, um, stars. And the Mm. fact that, you know, I mentioned that I write about the Milky way. Well, my students have never seen the Milky way. Um, I, I regularly teach, um, uh, something on light pollution in, in one of my classes and, um, you know, they just, there There might be a couple who've, you know, lived in Alaska or something, you know, or, or mm-hmm. who live way out in rural Illinois or something. But most of them, you know, if you talk about stars, they're thinking about what they see when they look up in a city and see, you know, whatever yeah. it is, like eight stars, half of which aren't even stars, but are planets, right? Right. And I think about that because at the same time, you know, I've had the experience of having um, a student, for example, in a short story that he wrote, wrote about stars. And he wrote about this character, like, looking out at this, like, vast starry sky. And, you know, I was kind of pressing on the the truth behind the image with him. And I said, okay, have you ever actually seen a sky like this? And the answer was no. You know, <laughs> what I was basically asking him was, OK, where is the story set? Like, are they in rural New right. Mexico or are they kind of near where you live in Cahokia? You know, <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. because it wasn't clear what the, <laughs> the setting of the story was. Right. And so right. that's interesting to me because, you know, I wonder about um, what happens to this you know, here, we're not talking about the dial tone here. We're talking about just a fundamental trope. Um, mm-hmm. And in many ways, it's something that, that folks don't really see. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of taking that, that notion of this Nash with the dial tone, this, this national sound that everybody at one point could identify with and have all these sort of associations with. Right. And, you know, it's the same sky, if you will, sort of above us. But yeah, yeah, depending on where you're at in the world, that, that it could look, you know, very different. Um, Um, Yeah. And that's interesting. I mean, you you mentioned sort of extinction, but then in in the same essay, you talk about de-extinction and um, just sort of advancements in, in technology and in bioscience yeah. and I'm, I'm assuming that that's sort of in part what it's referenced to and yeah i mean you mentioned stars and that that, that has me thinking about you know uh, black holes mm-hmm. or when a star collapses in on itself yeah
1: but i mean i don't know i mean if i had time i would try to research this to find out about how poets today are writing about okay. stars and I, I am going to guess that um, there's a shift towards more writing about stars in terms of you know physics and you know there's Mm -hmm. I'm I'm guessing there's more talking about stars in terms of black holes and sort of all the things we learn about stars and can see about stars on our computers um, as opposed Mm -hmm. to actual descriptions of stars and and, you know you Mm -hmm. talked about the the changes in where I grew up I I remember um you know coming home with my parents from maybe a trip to the city or something and then i remember getting out of the car and looking up and you know i would see the milky way um i'm pretty sure that wouldn't happen in that or in that same house
0: yeah i i yeah i mean i haven't i haven't been to lake forest in quite some time but yeah i'd I'd imagine that those views are not the same um yeah. And I, 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 I genuinely feel that someone who hasn't experienced sort of that very rural night sky that they should, yeah. um, just, just for, just, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's why I think, you know, it's one of the many images or, or feelings that, that poetry or writing or art tries to,
1: yeah.
0: tries to do justice yeah. by, or tries to articulate. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, no, that's that's great. I, yeah, I, mean, I would be very interested to read any work uh, that, that you create that has to deal no. with stars. Um, <laughs> Open up. <laughs> that's a good segue to the next question I have for you. And I'm not sure exactly if your feelings have sort of changed when you were quoted, um, but you have been quoted saying that uh, the desire to write comes mm. and goes. And, you know, that the challenge in creating art in, in a way that is meaningful and interesting while also true to sort of the, the culture of the time, the, the, the current issues, um, it, it presents a real challenge. And I, and I just wondered if you found that in the past year, given everything that's happened from, from the pandemic to a tumultuous election, it, has that desire um, waned? Has it, has it grown? Has it been a struggle?
1: I Yeah, just I think it's been a struggle um i think Mm. i'm not yeah i think it's been a struggle i think partly just you know uh even even the way in which you know social distancing has deprived me of certain rituals like it's useful Mm. for me to to get out of the house to write you know i mean as stupid as it sounds it's like it's very useful if i can like go to a coffee shop you know definitely (laughs)
0: No, I, I uh, totally agree. I, I get way more work done yeah. outside of the home. And sure.
1: so those kinds of things, like the, just the disruption of my habits I think have mm. been affected. Um, I I don't yeah. feel, you know, I, I don't really, even when I want to write, you know, I can't, I, you know, I I, I think most writers realize that you can't force a subject. So, I think, you know, however it affects me will come out in a year or two. Um, Sort of consciously trying to write about it. It's difficult. Sure.
0: Yeah. No, I I connect with that just in terms of, you know, often I don't process something that's happening right away, let alone would that come through in any type of writing, you know? So
1: I think the other thing is I'm just, I'm on my computer all the freaking time and Mm that's not good for my writing.
0: No, there's like a, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get done with, with whatever conferencing or some sort of virtual, something great, you know, something that involves the screen and yeah, it's, it's like zapped, you know, or I kind of even feel it in my face or in my eyes. It's just, it's a heaviness or, or even like a, like a heat. Um, But do you, I mean, I guess just made me think of this. Do you compose, do do you draft? What I guess I'm, I'm. This is sort of a processy question, but do you compose primarily longhand, like writing it out, or do you type um, on screen? Uh, and generally,
1: that... I would say longhand. Um. Mm-hmm. No. um yeah.
0: Interesting. Well, yeah, so, me too. I, like... <laughs> I have to at least get a draft yeah. done or two before I go to the go to the, yeah. the keyboard. I
1: like. Um... I like uh, either like long yellow legal pads, or I have a, mm-hmm. a million stupid journals that I write in. <laughs> that I just like enjoy like having my nice journal. Uh, I almost never yeah. actually fill up the entire journal. So I have like, a million.
0: <laughs> you're yeah, it's uh you're I it's the same thing <laughs> same same here. I have so many notebooks and journals, but yeah, the the really nice ones with the nice binding that. i'm really slowly working my way through those so um great have your goal this is a pretty broad question (laughs) um but have your goals as a as a poet artist and or teacher i mean i know i'm throwing a lot at you in with that list but do do you believe your goals have changed um throughout your time and i don't even know where the point of reference would be but Do you feel that, I mean, it could even be, you could conceive of the question even within the last year, but do you you believe that your goals have have changed as a poet?
1: Um, I, I mean, I don't think my, I don't think my essential goals in the sense of, um, you know, like what actually gets me writing or, or, I mean, I don't think those have really changed. Um, I think, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, I, I've never been, I, I've always been someone who's kind of like, on the one hand, like, I want everybody to read my stuff and, you know, <laughs> I want people to know who I am. But on the other hand, I've never been one of those people who can go out and, like, really hustle to do that. Um, it's in- right. interesting. I went. I heard um, Adrian Matika, who is a wonderful yeah. poet, great guy. Um, and you know, he's been quite successful. And he he's he will just talk about that with people and just say, look, you know, it's a it's a jungle out there in the literary world. You gotta be yeah. hustling all the time. Like you, you gotta have the Twitter account and the website and all that. And like I just I just have never been able to do that. And I think um like just in terms of career goals, I, I've kind of just come more to terms with that, that that's that's going to have consequences for me. And I just have to live with them. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's very, I feel, I thank you. Yeah. For being honest in that assessment, but that, again, that's like, that kind of, you write a bit about how, technology and how that's sort of changed um, maybe the, the language or, you know, how an artist does, how an artist attempts to be true to the times, right. Given how we, consume and compose text now or at least a big a large portion of the population does and yeah so it does it gets me thinking about that but also just what you said I mean I think yeah I mean I I write short stories but certainly I'm at nowhere near the level <laughs> you are in terms of craft and just in, in my career but yeah if anything I, I learned through completing my thesis that of course you know I'd love for people to read my stuff but it a, a turning point for me was when I made it about the work, yeah. which sounds yeah. cliche, but I, it was. I got I got sort of to a point where it wasn't about this final product, this idealized version of a story I had yeah. in my hand. It, it it was just about trying to make the the next draft yeah. better, and that was really freeing yeah. to me as yeah. a as a writer. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Take that.
1: Well, and yeah. I mean, it's hard to do because of you know so many of us are functioning in an academic context. You know, I was I, mm. I was teaching. It's been a long time since I've done this, but just recently I gave my poetry writing students a bunch of Elizabeth Bishop, and you know I haven't taught her in a long time because mm. she was so continually thrust upon me as a graduate student that I just kind of had a reaction to her. But I mean, she's such a great mm. poet um but the other yes. thing i really like about elizabeth bishop is she didn't write a lot you know she did not put out many books mm. the books she did put out you know did not have many poems in them um and of course but of course she was not you know she she was not for the most part in an academic context you know and i i think mm. those i think i think i've kind of it it can it can get hard sometimes to separate what you're really doing creatively and who you are as a writer, as opposed to the person you constantly have to be defending um, in an academic context, you know, the the statements you have to write about what you're doing and the, you know, the proof you have to show that you're, you're doing something serious. And, um, I think I've just kind of gotten to a position where Uh, I just, I just, there's less of that inhibiting me, um, but also Mm. less of that driving me to be honest. So,
0: right. Right. It's like, um, I never, yeah, no, I mean, so many things that you said there, I feel like I could follow up on and it's just, yeah, it's thinking about the very taxing nature of, of, you know, Mm -hmm. teaching. And especially at the college yeah. level, and, and the, you're you're constantly reading, you know, writing from very different ability types, and um, having to provide feedback. And yeah, it's just a different type of writing seemingly all the time. Whether you're planning for a lesson or you're evaluating students' oh, yeah. work, and then then getting to your yeah. own work. Yeah. But exactly. I have exactly like you, you know, you
1: know it's, teaching is you know obviously takes a lot of creativity, and, and then also teaching writing um you know you're always spending time finding things in students writing that you know they couldn't find themselves and so you know you're putting a lot of like creative activity just into reading their writing to, <laughs> Just kind of, you know yeah um so yeah it can it can get in the way but it can also be quite inspiring if you had that right. experience with the teacher yeah. yourself so
0: yeah. I'd ima- yeah. I imagine. Exactly. And I, I feel like also when I have all the time in the world, you know, that doesn't necessarily no, translate exactly. to a heck of a lot exactly. of. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I have a couple more questions. So you mentioned, you, you mentioned your PhD program at the University of Utah, but before then you had received an MA. From the University of Chicago and and your MFA uh, from the prestigious Iowa Writers' Workshop, and aside from just being very impressed by your journey as uh, an academic and student of writing and literature, I wondered, um, do you see any sort of lessons that that you? That's it's again a very broad question, but I I kind of just wonder how, um, in a general way your your sort of experience as a student um and having been in school for just you know a fair bit of time how that's impacted decisions you've made uh as an artist
1: um i hmm do you mean aesthetic decisions
0: yeah i suppose so i mean um and, and maybe the themes that you're writing to, was that something that you discovered, for instance, while you were in your MFA program or were sort of your interests about place, um, about, you know, sound yeah. and, and extinction. And, and was that, did those sort of reveal themselves once you were out of that I setting? Think,
1: um, I think probably the biggest thing, again, it's a little bit like a like being in a residency. I think, ultimately, in the in the writing programs, Utah is like, you know, that one of those deals where you do, you do your orals and all that stuff, like a regular PhD, but then you write a, a creative dissertation. Um, uh, but in the writing programs, particularly, I think I just, I, I think a lot of it just has to do with the time as a student with other students. You know, and that time, and particularly if you're in a graduate program, um, you know, so you're not, you don't necessarily have to do another job, you know, that's completely Hmm. foreign to the the work you're doing as a student and as a student writer. And I think it just a lot of it is just um, the common experience, and and there's and I wouldn't say that there's sort of an influence. I think just sort of talking seriously about what you're doing with someone and just having someone listen to you and not say, what are you talking about? Or, you know, yeah. what kind of person reads a book like that, right? I mean, that that just yeah. kind of common experience, I think is, is was probably the most kind of profound influence that I got out of those programs. Man. you know i should say that that when i went to iowa i can't remember how old i was maybe i was 29 or 30 and i had already gotten my ma and so um you know i i i i had the experience i just talked about and and there are friends that i made at iowa who are still my friends um but oh, that's great. um I think it was also useful for me to, and rare in that I, I did have a pretty solid um, education having gotten my MA. Um, and it also helped mm-hmm. that I had grown up with a poet. And so I knew a lot just about the history of literature and poetry, um, and and generally much more than most of my fellow students in the program, not all, but most. Yeah, that's really
0: interesting. Oh, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, did, did, did you feel like that? Um, I mean, did you feel any sort of inkling towards, I'm not saying be another, being another instructor or teacher in the room or anything like that, but did you ever find yourself, um, I mean, were you the one that, were people deferring to you ever at times to sort of speak, to, speak on a piece or, I mean, did you find that having that additional educational background and sort of your upbringing
1: to I- that? set you up for um i think my teachers appreciate it um yeah right (laughs) i don't i don't really know you know i I think i've always had a healthy sense that it's it's dangerous to think about whether people are listening to you in class (laughs) nothing worse (laughs) than like that little thought balloon over your head that's like i'm really getting to them now Um, um you know i i think um I think the main thing is just sort of it, it. It also gives me a sort of a healthy resistance to trends and trend-driven thinking, and kind mm. of, you know, I'm I'm kind of the the cranky person who's sort of like, yeah, you know, I I get that you really like this thing that these like ten poets you know are doing, but but you realize that they were doing this like <laughs> three hundred years ago, and you know, so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's great. No, I mean, that, I feel like that would be invaluable to have someone like that and part of any I, writing I community. Yeah, I don't so know like,
1: that it, it mattered at all to other people, but I think it was useful to me and just sort of keeping, uh, I don't know, keep, keeping something something to myself in, in, a, in that environment when, you know, one can be huh. quite susceptible to trends and people. Imposter syndrome or yeah, yeah. yeah, trends, syndrome yeah group and then bank, also just sure. sort of groupthink. Creative
0: groupthink. Yeah. Yeah. I have one final question. Um what advice would you give our listeners out there that are considering whether or not to pursue a graduate degree in writing or literature?
1: Um, the advice I give them is that um you you the best thing that you will get out of it is the actual learning the sense of being in a company of writers the sense that literature itself is the history of a company of writers that we have a canon Hmm. but the the canon is kind of bs we we, there are so many Hmm. writers we've never heard of who um are essential to creating the literature that we then find in our classes. Um, we just don't know who they are, mm-hmm. but they were out there making, you know, they were out there, you know, influencing the writers we know and dialoguing with the writers we know. And so I, I sort of give that advice that, you know, that, that experience is important. Um, I, I then stop mm-hmm. to point out to students that, you know, um, um you know they're they're if if they're if what they really want is to publish a book that's going to sell a bunch, then frankly they don't really need a writing program for that in some ways mm. it can be a drawback because mm. they'll they'll get a little too literary mm. um You know, and then if that's what they're into, then also, you know, then they better make sure they get into an influential writing program and they better make sure that while they're in that writing Mm. program, they schmooze as as hard as they can. You know, like um, I, I try to just give them the advice that, you know, Mm. what, what you get out of a program is the time you get the luxury of people actually caring what you're doing. You get the, the often lifelong gift of being around other writers and people who get what you're doing and, and that that is, that that's what important, what's important. But um, if it's just about publishing a book, you know, anybody can publish a book now, literally anybody. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's what, yeah. what do you, what do you plan to learn while you're there? I think it's really the most important yeah. thing.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful advice. Not that, you know, just by enrolling in a program is that, does that guarantee you no. really anything? And then, And then also it's what, yeah, what's, what's the long-term sort of plan here? What's, what's the larger objective? And yeah, I think at least in my experience, I feel like um, some graduate students can't answer that question. And so, yeah, kind of having it put to them, I feel like would be be a great uh, exercise for for anybody considering a program. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Listen next time as author Valerie Vogrin joins the show to discuss a new story collection. In the meantime, do you know an artist that would like to be interviewed? Writers in the World is looking to connect with authors for new episodes. If you or someone you know might be interested, please contact me, your host, at grantdeam at gmail.com. That's G-R-A-N-T-D-E-A-M at gmail.com gmail.com. Until next time.